Hey guys, and welcome back to the podcast. We still have to figure out a name. Uh, so this is Dave, and I'm as always joined by uh, Jeff, and Jeff is in New York. Jeff, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, getting ready for the holidays. Um, you know, things have been pretty busy, but hanging in there. How about you? Same end of the year. Always, always, always a grind. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it should be nice. Um, so this week we have two slash two and a half topics. Uh, the first one is uh, impeachment. So the House will likely pass the articles of impeachment on Wednesday. And what does that mean? Um, next, we have the Patriots, Patriots' recent struggles over the last few weeks, and Spygate four or five, whatever it is. I've, I've kind of lost count. It's been I, think it's, I think it's two, technically. There's been some other issues that they've had, but... Isn't it, isn't it technically three? Because, like, I know that the original... Rams one didn't have. We'll get into it in a second, but that anyway. was like that was like fake news. That one, so I, I don't count that one. They're they're all kind of a little well, like the flake. It was a little. Anyway, yeah. we'll get into it in a little bit. Uh, so first, to kick it off, uh, we're going to talk about impeachment. So the House will likely pass the articles of impeachment on Wednesday morning, uh, and that moves it to a trial in the Senate. Uh, as of right now, only two Democrats are voting against impeachment. Uh, one is still on the fence, and every single Republican, even Will Hurd, who a lot of people thought might switch sides, is voting against impe- impeachment. Um, so, I, I, Jeff, I'll, I'll kind of start off with this one. So, to kick it off, I kind of want to go through, like, the original arguments, each argument that the uh, Republicans in the House have made, and just the Republican Party in general. So, the first argument was, he did nothing wrong, the call was perfect. The next argument was <clears throat> he did something wrong. By the way, Dave, while you're going through this, are, are these what is this from the letter that he wrote to Pelosi, or is this uh, something else? <clears throat> nope. Sorry. Oop, my throat. Um, no, this wasn't the most recent letter, but we can get into that in a second because that letter was gotcha. just bananas. Um, this is kind of going through like chronological order. Uh, well, a little close to his chronological order as possible, all of the arguments that have been made. And then as soon as the facts change, then the next argument comes. So these are all the arguments that as, as they've come. So the first is the call was perfect. He did nothing wrong. Next is he did something wrong, but it's not enough. That's still kind of an argument. Uh, next is it's based solely on an anonymous source, the whistleblower, which a he's anonymous. He's because of his safety reasons and, and by the rules actually set up by a lot of members of this current Congress. And B, it's no longer relevant because we have text, public lawful testimony, um, a, a transcript, uh, all backing up the, uh, not a transcript, a call summary, all backing up the accusations. Next is the process is illegitimate because it's partisan and it's also partisan because it's illegitimate. Uh, next is the process is illegitimate because none of the witnesses are firsthand. Uh, Obviously, the reason the witnesses aren't firsthand is because the White House is completely blocked and ordered all firsthand people not to testify. Uh, in fact, the White House has had zero cooperation, which is completely unprecedented. Um, and that obstruction is actually in the articles of impeachment. Um, also, the Senate will be holding a trial where, of course, they could call witnesses, but the Republicans in the Senate are creating rules as of right now, trying to remove the ability to call witnesses. Uh, and then the next argument is uh, you can't undo an election of 63 million people who voted for him just out of spite. 
so they're essentially arguing against the very idea, the very concept of impeachment, saying you're trying to undo an election. Um, and, and so like, I guess my larger question, and I'm probably being a little like, Jeff, calm me down. I'm probably being a little nuts about this, but like, at what point can we stop pretending that the Republican Party's arguments are legitimate and based on anything other than cynical grabs for power? Um, and I, I, I almost, can we stop taking them seriously currently as a party? Yeah. So, uh, so the, the thing about the, so I agree first, like, let me be clear. I agree about that. What, what's interesting when you read those off is that in, in a vacuum, some of those statements would be true, but, mm -hmm. but, but the substance behind them is not, is not, you know, it does not support the claims that are being made. So for example, to say you can't just undo an election of 64 million people out of spite. Well, that's, that's a factual statement. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Um, but that doesn't mean that spite is the guiding or even the only reason that this is happening. I mean, to be sure the people behind it probably feel spite towards Donald Trump, but that doesn't mean that there cannot be other legitimate factors that are guiding it. Right. So the points themselves are in a vacuum, I think, you know, can be accurate. Some of them, others are actually just completely erroneous regardless, but some of them in a vacuum makes sense. But if, if not for the fact that they are unsubstantiated, so that's, that's how I feel. I mean, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, a lot of it feels purposefully misleading. I think almost every single one of them is purposely misleading. I mean, in, in starting off with like the, he did nothing wrong. Um, that's kind of connected to most of these things. And that seems like that's almost taking like the new argument, which is to say like, well, every leader does this. Like they all try to, uh, it's either just straight, complete denial of what he did, which is saying he didn't even ask for the quid pro quo. Uh, he didn't, uh, every president does this where they, they want get something in exchange for, for, for giving something. And, uh, and then the other one is just like nitpicking little semantics of law. Like the new one was when uh, the um, Jonathan Turley came in and said that what Donald Trump did doesn't meet the, the original founders argument towards what bribery is, which I like, who knows, but which, uh, well, a lot of the other law professor said it did. So he was, he was up over to three, three to one, but it seems like it's a lot of nitpicking of semantics. Um, well, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing was somewhat theatrical. The, you know, if you read it in a Trumpian voice too, it's almost comical, right? When you're reading this letter that he's, that he sends, it's like the seven page, you know, diarrhea of the mouth or six page document. Yeah. You know, if you read it in a Trumpy voice, it's almost a little funny as you're reading it. There's even a, a reference to the, you know, there's a, a Russian witch hunt and Sa like the Salem witch trials get mentioned here. And there's, you know, exclamation points that end like every other sentence. I yeah. think there's even Trump derangement syndrome I'm seeing is, is, is in here. So it's all, it's almost funny. Like if you were to say this was like a Saturday night live segment, I would believe you. Like if I was just reading it and I saw, you know, Alec Baldwin, you know, doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, the, the, you know, as you read it, you realize there's not really even any attempt for legitimacy and, and you know, it, it shouldn't be surprising. You know, he, he was a 
reality TV personality, uh, which was one of his big claims to fame. I mean, people always knew who Donald Trump was, but his whole, you know, spiel came from TV and everything like that. Yeah, this doesn't seem like a really a, an actual attempt to convince anyone of anything. And, you know, one thing I know, uh, you know, from, from working in sales is, you know, you don't, you don't really convince people of things by telling them that they're wrong. And, you know, I actually saw a comparison. I don't want to derail this by going off the tracks. I, let me, I'll, I'll sit, I'll be very clear. I very much support, you know, Greta Thunberg and like everything that she's doing, the environmental a- activist, uh, very admirable and worthy person of the year. Although I did see what I think is a legitimate take, which is that, her approach to the matter is likely not convincing new people. It's probably galvanizing existing supporters. And I guess where I'm going with this is that the way that you convince people of things isn't to yell at them like Trump is doing with all these exclamation points, telling them that they're wrong and that they're terrible. That's, it actually does the exact opposite. It pushes them away. The way that you get people on your side is to try to find a common ground and you try to understand the other person's perspective and listen a little bit, uh, almost even repeat back to them what they're saying, make sure that you understand their point of view and what they're looking for. And that's how you get things done. But, you know, you read this and it's, it, you know, for somebody who pr- pretends to be such a great negotiator, doesn't seem like it's a legitimate or genuine effort to try to find common ground. It's more about continuing the theatrics and galvanizing his own base, which is what generally happens when you yell and scream and stamp your feet. You get people who already agree with you to agree and people who disagree with you to disagree with you even more. Yeah, I, I will say just to your Greta Thunberg comment, uh, I, I think for her, one is like, I feel very, uh, it's, it, it's a little weird that we're like nitpicking a 16 year old girl for, uh, you know, her effectiveness in, uh, in, in terms of dealing with, uh, you know, one of the largest issues in the world that most leaders are dragging their feet on and doing nothing, if not actively, uh, making worse, um, for her galvanizing the people on her side. I, I actually like that because you, you do have to motivate the people on your side to act because, uh, you know, a movement or issue without action is, is kind of meaningless. Um, I actually was very at the beginning when the Republicans seemed to be trying to make, you know, a, a, an argument based on legal grounds or on factual grounds. Um, it was, it was interesting because we ultimately knew that, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the greatest heuristic of this whole entire uh, presidency is that, is that public opinion won't change. Really, you know, you'll see like little ticks up and down here and there, but relatively stays the same. Um, and I don't want to say that both sides are stuck in the ground because I actually think that that oversimplifies the issue. Uh, it does seem to be like it's it's asymmetrical polarization where you have one, you know, half of the country that just ignores every piece of new information, uh, every piece of fact and goes entirely votes on 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 culture and uh, and allegiance. So it almost feel like, felt like a wasted effort to try to make these uh, different arguments the Republican Party was doing and just w- do what Trump's doing now, which is just trolling and just 
saying like none of this matters anyway you guys are being ridiculous uh you're overreacting ha 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 you're taking this seriously which essentially seems to be a lot of the republican argument now which is like you guys are too serious you're taking this seriously and it's thumbing its nose at you know the entire government and uh all of the all of the, the 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 entire system that we've we've built in the united states well what even happens if so if this goes through is there not a legitimate concern that he would just run for election again i mean he there would be nothing to stop him from doing that right so i guess like my question is what is the end goal or the end game here like what what you know like if you and I are not Trump supporters and we would prefer to see him out of office, like, is this the right, is this a, you know, going, you know, like a giddy about impeachment because it means that, you know, we can laugh at Trump and his family and things like that. But well, know, what, what is it, what does it ultimately mean? Is kind of- I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm giddy at impeachment because like, I, so I think one of the, I want it to be more substantive rather than performative. So for impeachment, I, I think this sets a really good precedent that this type of behavior, even in an incredibly polarized climate, is still something that you can't stand for. Yeah. And presidents need to be held accountable. Like we've seen such growth in the executive branch power over the last, you know, whatever, 40 years or whatever it is. I just made 40 years up, but recently. Mm-hmm. And I, if this type of behavior is is allowed, it it does set a horrible precedent moving forward that the the executive branch can essentially be left unchecked unless you have overwhelming majorities of opposing parties in both chambers of uh both chambers of Congress in the legislative branch. That to me terrifies me. Yep. Well, I agree with you that we want to try to set some boundaries because it's felt like for the last three or four years that there really haven't been any and that the social fabric of our country is really deteriorated in terms of what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. You know, a lot of everyday things that seem to happen these days are things that I would feel like five or six years ago would be a big deal. You know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. You know, I agree with you that we want to start setting some boundaries, and this would be a great way to do that. But my concern is, you know, if they go forward with this uh, and it's successful, will that a galvanize folks? Well, first of all, his base and everybody, and and will he just run for election again and make it easier for him to come back and you know just kind of grow back like a wart, you know, on your foot or whatever. Um, so, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying one way or the other whether you know. I, I'm more just kind of thinking out loud about it. It's, I mean, it sounds like based on the most recent polls that it's something like 54% of people in the United States now are, uh, you know, really would, would like to see this happen. They would like to see him get impeached. And uh, that's a, an increase. And, in, in, you know, despite what Trump has been saying that the numbers are very much in his favor, it's actually, you know, quite the opposite. So, you know, I think that that's, I think that's telling in terms of what people want. And I think it also might be telling about his reelection odds uh, as well. Because, you know, even if he were impeached, if 54% of people are saying that they do not, you know, that they, they think we should go forward. I think that's telling about what, how they feel about him as a, as a president. 
Yeah, if you believe someone should be impeached. Well, actually, I, I was going to say, if you believe someone should be impeached, then you absolutely would not vote for them. However, Carly Fiorina just came out with an interview <laughs> and said that uh, she thinks Donald Trump should be impeached. And then when they asked if... Uh, Forgot about her. It, I, most of the world did and should. Yeah. Um, and then she was asked, will you vote for Trump in 2020? And she goes, uh, you know, as long as the Democrats nominate someone, uh, I can vote for so there was still that caveat, like, I might vote for him. You right. can't completely remove it. Well, that's um, the thing. is like everybody, you know, what's going to end up happening too. Well, here's, an, here's another scenario that could, could, legitimate, could legitimately happen is that, you know, Trump's going to get impeached and then, you know, maybe some other people step up to the plate on the Republican side and act like they did not support him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate to do this cause I, 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 I don't want to, I'm almost mad at myself for starting to go down this path, but I, I don't like to exaggerate. And I don't think that, you know, I think there are people who compare Trump to not like Hitler and like Nazi Germany and like, yeah, I, think, I don't think it's fair. I don't right. think it's, I don't think it's fair, yeah. but at the same time, you know, again, and it's not a direct comparison, but a lot of those people denied their involvement. You know, they, they denied that, you know, there's a you know great films about this and it asks a lot of them ask like who is responsible like who is responsible for all of these bad things happening and again you know i'm not comparing it to you know nazi germany it's nothing close in my estimation but it's the same idea is that you have people that try to distance themselves from something that ends up looking bad later on for selfish gain you know there's people like mitt romney who for a long time have just kind of been you know sitting in a corner looking silly or even rubio you know, people that you almost wish would step up, people who ran against um, him that were, were very eager to talk about how ridiculous it would be to have this person who have now piped down. And I could very much see those people piping up again when he's gone, talking about all the, you know, all the ways that they uh, opposed him when in reality, you know, it's very clear that nobody has the, the balls really to, to step up and, and do the right thing. Yeah, I will say, actually, it's funny, the, the, the most vocal supporters, you know, Lindsey Graham being the most obvious, and you just named Rubio, too. And Rubio has been a relatively uh, strong supporter. But, but Rubio was very, like, he, he was, like, one of the people who during the election was like, do you guys realize how ridiculous it would be to, like, have this guy? You know, oh, that's why it was, like, so weird. Lindsey Graham said, like, he, like, Trump will be a disaster and will deserve it if we elect him. And he's like a racist, xenophobic. He he said that entire thing in a statement, and I I think the thing that I'm 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 finding more and more is just the and I don't want to make this a complete both parties type of argument because I don't think that's true, and I I don't necessarily think I'm being partisan for saying that. Um, and like you can nitpick and say like you know AOC or something, but at least a lot of AOC's arguments. Uh, are based on like actual information. So, sorry. So there are, I think a lot of Republicans uh, used to have to, you know, admit to things or have to acknowledge certain truths um, because they felt like they had to uphold some type of standards because if they didn't, they would, they would face public scrutiny. Um, What they're finding more and more is that if you just don't acknowledge the reality of the situation or you don't fess up to something that you don't have to leave or you don't have to, uh, you don't have to, you won't, you're not going to face any type of public scrutiny. Um, 
And luckily, when the majority of your constituents get their news from an outlet that is essentially an arm of the Republican Party, Fox News, and then you also throw in like different publications like Breitbart, they're so misinformed that they don't know what's true anyway. Right. Well, I mean, if you were to say, you know, like if you were to say which which party has dem- has 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 been demonstrably worse uh you know yeah i mean for sure there are things that you know will always happen on either side that are frustrating but in my estimation it's pretty evident i mean we literally elected a reality tv personality failed business leader who diminishes people and gets away with it um commits crimes left and right i mean like I said on the last one, I, I, I don't even keep up with this stuff anymore because it's yeah. like watching, it's like watching us like, you know, for me to just get like a week's worth of what's going on with Trump, it's like watching a whole season of Game of Thrones with this like revolving door of new characters who get killed metaphorically, I guess. Like, I mean, it was like, where's like Manafort and, you know, Comey and like, you know, there's like, there's all these different characters that come and go. It's like, that are tied to Donald Trump. It's like, I, it's like, people that are telling me that I need to watch a new show on Netflix that I don't have, that I just don't have time for. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, look, I, a lot of my political opinions honestly are conservative. I'm not registered as a Republican and I have a lot of political beliefs that are liberal. In fact, for a long time, I think I was very liberal. Um, but I'm a registered Democrat and, you know, honestly, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I could be independent or maybe like libertarian or whatever, but you know, to me, it's like, it's almost embarrassing to, to register as part of the party right now. I mean, they've shown that they'll, they'll show a blind eye to, you know, the, you know, people who are convicted, like rapists and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, you know, at a certain point, like, no matter how frustrated, like, I, I'm someone who gets very frustrated by, like, the radical left, like the, the super progressives who I just think are intellectually inconsistent all the time. But to me, that's like, that's frustrating. It, it, it doesn't make them like, it, it doesn't make them like immoral. You know what I mean? Like there's a diff, there's a difference for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people that are compromising their values and there's people who are just like inconsistent. And I think, I think there's a difference in what I've noticed. One, one of those things is incredibly frustrating for me. The other is like, you know, it just feels immoral. And a lot of the stuff that follows Trump, it's like, well, well there's smoke, there's fire, you know, at a certain point you need to, you know, kind of own up to it. It's part of being responsible and accountable. It feels dangerous on almost an existential level. Yep. All right. Well, on that note, (laughs) (laughs) so Jeff, we're going to throw a little curveball on this one. So since you and I are big Patriots fans, I wanted to move to, I mean, just what has to be the topic of the week. So, or at least the last few weeks. So the first one is, uh, so this is kind of like a, a, a single topic with two different components to it. So, the main topic is the Patriots. So the Patriots have struggled over the last few weeks. I'm not really going to count a win over the Bengals. Uh, that was meaningless, uh, particularly now because it's Martin scandal. But um, the Patriots do seem, particularly on offense, like quite anemic. And, and the defense has been letting up a lot of your, particularly on the run game, uh, that they hadn't earlier in the year. So kind of what's been your take throughout the last few weeks? Well, there's a lot to unpack. You know, statistically, the Patriots offense is actually uh, pretty much on par with all of its Super Bowl seasons, which I think surprises a lot of people because 
you know, if you look, if you watch the games, they don't look like they're particularly impressive uh, in a lot of, in a lot of cases they're, you're, you're kind of used to them having it a little easier. They're certainly benefiting from a lot of help on defense turnovers. Um, you know, they're stopping teams down, getting more chances, things like that. But, you know, yeah, there seems to be, so, so, so statistically things aren't terrible, but you know, anybody with eyeballs who has followed the team for the last couple decades knows that there's something off. Now, that being said, like, this is one of those things where you feel like an idiot if you doubt them. Like every time yeah. you think that they are done for, they, they make you fall in love again. It's kind of weird. And that's happened multiple times in, in throughout, you know, the, these runs, like, you know, if you, not to like digress, but if you were to actually break Brady's career into like three different careers, like you, you would have potentially three hall of fame careers, which is mind blowing. Yeah. But there were there were times within all of those segments where people gave up on them. Like keep in mind, there was a ten year period between a couple of the you know those Super Bowls, the first three and the second three. There was a ten year gap, and then even within the last three, you have people like Max Kellerman and all these people on TV who you know Hasselbeck who have constantly predicted the end for Brady. And you know last season was interesting, and actually like you know a bunch of the last few, but especially last year, I felt personally. Like, this is different. This, this seems different. Things are not great. And, you know, you might remember we had that early season embarrassing loss to the, the Detroit Lions, who are like the bottom feeders of the NFL every year with the Bengals pretty much. Yep. And people had written off the team. And even as the season progressed, I think they lost like, what, two or three in a row at the end of the season. They lost to the Steelers. People kind of put a fork in them. And then you know, they looked better in their last two division games to end the season and kind of limped into the playoffs. They had a first round bye. They beat uh, the Chargers pretty handily. And then they go into, you know, they go into Kansas City and they surprise the Chiefs, who everyone thought was unbeatable. And then they win the Super Bowl. So I guess where I'm going with this is, yeah, I mean, it feels, it does feel different this year, but it also felt different last year. And then something happened. What happened last year was that the defense figured it out it was it's actually ironic last year the defense was our Achilles heel our offense looked great uh this year it's the exact opposite our defense looks fantastic it might be one of the best defenses we've ever seen with the Patriots uh they they've had some other ones that are that are up there but this is you know this one will go will go down in the books but you know is it it could it happen that you know that they could put it together on offense I mean it's, it's hard to it's hard to doubt them you know, you've got people like Brady and Edelman, uh, Nikhil Harry starting to figure some things out, looked good in that last game. Yeah. Um, you are missing some key pieces, though, like some things that you really need to win. Uh, the offensive line has been a problem. Brady doesn't have time. Uh, they don't have Gronk, which actually is problematic, really, because he was such a great blocking tight end. Like last year, Gronk really wasn't a factor. I mean, he was a factor as a receiver. He opened things up for other players on the field, but – they, they utilize him a lot to block and, you know, help with the pass rush. So they're missing him. They're missing James Devlin, the fullback. Um, you know, like I said, no run game. So you're missing some of those vital pieces, but yeah. you know, you're, they've always been missing pieces. And then at the end of the year, they figure it out. So it's really like these next few weeks, we're going to know, I, in my opinion, we're going to know what kind of team we have over these next few weeks. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think, you know, every year, obviously, the, the fastest take, because everyone wants to be the first one to say it, is that the Patriots are done. Uh, and that's been going on since, like, 2003 or, you know, whatever it is. Um, it is funny that at the beginning of the year, you know, we looked at the offense and we said, wow, this might be the best crop of receivers that Brady's ever thrown to. Because at that time, you had both Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown. Um, and obviously, you know, they're no more. And, uh, and Edelman is, uh, unfortunately, it looks like Edelman may be hurt. Um, I, last year, the thing that really helped us a lot was the run game. And we developed into a running team kind of at the end of the year. And a lot of that had to do with the offensive line and also James Devlin. And both are – Devlin's hurt this year and the offensive line has, has kind of been issues all year. You know, we lost Trent Brown. Um, I, I went to the, uh, the game against the Redskins. And if you remember, it actually started off pretty slow because we were throwing the ball every, round, every, uh, every down roughly. And it wasn't until we started running the ball that the game really started opening. And I was actually looking through – some of our losses this year. And I don't know if it was because they actually weren't down that early in a lot of these games. Uh, but against the, against the Ravens, Brady threw the ball 46 times. Uh, and then against the Texans, he threw the ball 47 times. And against the Chiefs, he threw the ball roughly the same. You know, four, uh, he threw to the be, ball. To be yeah. fair, in, in that Chiefs game, though, and look, we've benefited from calls all the time, so I'm not yeah, complaining per call. se, but it's like there were, what, four or five bad calls consecutively that went against us that really affected that. But I'm with you so far about the run. So, sorry, I didn't want to yeah, interrupt we you. Have, we haven't been running the ball, which is kind of like if you look at the, the, the best crop of guys on offense, right, is by far our running backs. Like we have really great depth at running back with Sony Michelle, James White, Burkhead, uh, Bolden. Um, Damian, not, and even Damian Harris, the rookie that they don't, they barely use. Yeah. Which is weird. And, and I love how when uh, receivers come to the Patriots, we, and I don't know if it's just because we live, you know, we're New England fans that like small deals feel super significant. But when Muhammad Sanu came to the Patriots, you would think we signed like Calvin Johnson. Right. It was such huge news. And like Sanu is a fine player, but. Sanu hasn't sniffed a Pro Bowl, and I think he's like maybe like a fifty or sixty catches a year kind of guy. Like he's fine, but he he's so far away from being like a game a game changer. And the uh, tight end is just I mean, Lacoste is might as well not be playing. And you're throwing to guys like Jacoby. I mean, we're not far off from the. Uh, uh, Rache Cal- Renee Caldwell or Rache Caldwell? Rache Caldwell, yeah. We're not really far off from that uh, that offense right now, uh, minus the, uh, the the depth of running backs. Yeah. Well, it's been tough to watch. It's just, you know, I you hesitate to say it's different now. I mean, look, it feels different. It just it felt different last year too. And that's why I'm just kind of like, you know, holding holding out hope here. You know, last year in the Super Bowl, like all year last year, we were an offensive juggernaut, really. Like we could yeah. score at will. And, you know, yeah, we, we reshaped our offense to be more running. But at the end of the year, we were putting up tons of points. We made, you know, crush the Chargers, crush the Chiefs. Um, 
scored what 13 points in the Super Bowl, but we held the highest scoring offense in the league to like three points. I mean, like, so it it was like the identity constantly changed throughout the year. It was a a passing offense and then it was a running offense and then just entirely defense. And you just wonder if that's going to happen. It might not like there might be a time where finally they just get sunk or they just don't get that lucky break at the end of a game. You know, they got breaks last year. That, you know, really more of the chiefs ineptitude jumping offside and yeah. things like that. But, um, you know, it could happen, but you know, I, it's hard, it's hard to bet against these guys because they constantly find a new way and they, they do it with people that you don't expect. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, the, the national media wants to, they're so excited that they want to be the first to say that they were like the first person to, to say when it really was ending. So everybody, like every year, there's always like, you know, some, it's like Max Kellerman usually, and then, you know, Rob Parker and then those, you know, those folks. But I, until I see them go down, it's hard for me to say that I expect it. And and I actually, one of the reasons I, (laughs) I'm like flip-flopping on this, but you know, it it is, uh, football has certainly changed since the Patriots won their first three uh, Super Bowls. It's far more, it's much more like spread offense. And uh, it's it's high scoring. It's fast, um, and I, they changed a lot of the uh, defensive rules too. So you can't be as physical with receivers. So guys get open more. They score more. Yada yada. But as you were kind of stating, like the first three Super Bowls, the Patriots were not a great offensive team. They were a a defensive team. They were a defensive team, and the offense took care of the football and would make timely play. Brady would make timely plays. Brady's first receivers were Troy Brown and David Patton. Like Troy Brown had a good year that year, but he he wasn't a star or anything. And David Patton was fine. And then you had uh, who was the running back that year? This was what year? First, the first Super Bowl. Oh gosh, um, I'd have to look it up. It's been so long. Yeah, and uh, Antoine Smith, I think Antoine Smith. Right. So you didn't have that great team. It was a defensive team. So, and that is Bill Belichick's uh, bread and butter. I heard he's calling the Ke- play. Kevin Falk too, right? Ke- yeah, Kevin Falk. Yeah. Which is amazing that we keep on recycling Kevin Falks. Like we, you have a new Kevin Falk almost every few years. Like you have, right. you had uh Vereen and then you, now you have uh, James White. So like similar guys. So here's some of the names that are on that list. Troy, you know, Tom Brady, obviously, Troy Brown, Teddy Bruschi, Kevin Falk, Matt Light, Ty Law, Mike Vrabel is obviously a coach now. Richard Seymour is a Hall of Famer. Willie yeah. McGinnis, Vinatieri, you know, Patton, uh, guys like Ted Johnson, Drew Bledsoe, Lawyer Malloy, Tabucky Jones, the list goes on. But, you, you know, brings back, brings back memories. But these guys were, by and large, kind of nobodies for, you know, Roman Pfeiffer, you know, is another one. So Lonnie Paxton, the guy, you know, he did the snow angels. Yeah. So you don't get names like that anymore. No, it's, uh, also, it's, a, it's a superstar driven league. It is. Yeah. I think that's, you know, last year when, you know, if I were to, you know, you remember last year, we watched this game together. We were making fun of uh, Kurt, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Kermit voice, but going into that game, like, you know, what, what did you, what 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 did you think the odds were of the Patriots going into Kansas City last year and winning that game? With the way Mahomes was playing, and yeah, how good how how confident did you feel? Patriots going into Kansas City, 
you know, they had, yeah, they had a good game against the Chargers the week before, but be, you know, before that, you hadn't seen much from them that made you uh, confident. What, how 30, confident were you? Thirty percent. I thought there was a thirty percent chance they won. Exactly. So if I told you now this year, they're probably going into Baltimore in the AFC Championship game, assuming they don't screw up at the end of the season. Um, you know, let's say they hold on to the two seed and they can get a revenge game against Kansas City at home, and they go into Baltimore for the AFC Championship game. You know, what are you pegging their odds at? Look, Lamar Jackson looks, by the way, 10 times better this oh. year than Mahomes did last year in yeah. a team that smoked us um, as opposed to Kansas City, who we'd actually beat in the regular season last year. You know, what are you pegging those odds at? Yeah, 20. 20? Particularly, right. particularly because we, we struggle with mobile quarterbacks. Right. But isn't there a part of you that, that looks at that 20 and then looks at the 30 you had last year and kind of in your head says maybe it's, maybe it's higher than I think it is? My, 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 it's, it's weird. My, it's almost like my emotions tell me 20%. My, right. brain, my brain tells me like 50. <laughs> right, exactly. Because you know that they've got coaches that can look at what, ha- what went wrong and make adjustments. I mean, look, I don't think what, – what I think is certainly not the case is that they would go back to Baltimore and lose the way that they lost again or worse. I, I just don't – I don't see that happening. Um, now, of course, they could just lose to Buffalo this week and then, you know, lose the first round by and just get, you know, beat, get beat in the first round in the wild card round. You know, and this could be just be the end of the, the entire dynasty for all I know. But, you know, if this all holds the way that I think it could and they go into Baltimore, I see that being kind of a coin flip. It, it that will be it, the fa- yeah the fact that he's already Belichick's already seen him too and yeah. we'll be preparing for him is going to be going to be the big thing. Um, so next with the Patriots, uh, so Jeff, you've been following this pretty heavily. So tell us about Spygate, part two slash three. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to think about this. So when I first heard about it, I was like, God damn it, you know, because I knew that no matter what the facts were, that we were just screwed as Patriots fans. Uh, you know, what happened after Spygate and Deflategate and like the Spygate that wasn't really a Spygate, but still lingers in people's memories as a Spygate. You know, you know that people were going to have a field day with this. You know that it was just going to add fuel to the fire when you're at, you know, some bar with your friends having an argument that they were just going to like use this against you in some argument, like no matter what the facts were, yep. that was like what went through my head is this sucks because I have to defend this now or whatever. And as I learned about the facts, I felt even more indignant because it's like, well, this is clearly like a video production crew that doesn't even like, I mean, are they even like really part of the Patriots? Are they like an outside crew? Like, you know, if you listen, if you saw the video and you listen to these guys on the, on the video, it's like, it's like twiddle D and twiddle dumb from like the North shore who are just like filming video. And it's like, are these guys really capable of being, you know, part of some scheme? I don't know. It's just like in Patriots gear. Yeah. Yeah. Just like total mass holes, just like filming this thing for like, they're like, dude, like I'm just here like smoking a cigarette, like just doing my job, no pun intended, like doing my job for this documentary, like just get off my ass. Um, but you have people that are, it's like frustrating because people are looking at it and they're like, well, they're clearly like caught in the act, like listen to the way they sound. And like, 
you know, they're like, they're filming the sideline. It's like eight minutes of it. And it's like, you know, if you, anybody with half a brain knows that you, like the way you film B-roll for any movie is you just film like random stuff. Like you have like sideline moment. Like if you watch any NFL documentary, like there's just like random B-roll footage while someone's being interviewed of just like a sideline, like somebody just like doing something on a sideline. You need a lot of footage in order to get that. Um, But, you know, not, I don't want to sound like a total Homer, um it is it does look bad like we this is the team that we were literally playing the following week and they're literally filming just the sideline um like it doesn't bother me that the advanced scout isn't in the footage because that's what b-roll is it doesn't involve the subject it's like ancillary footage um but it's crazy that people jump to conclusions without evidence you you have and i'm not surprised when you have the like cliff kellerman on tv saying Bill Belichick should be suspended because he had to know about this. That's not how it works. You don't get to just say, like, without evidence, I think you had to know about this. You need, you, like, you need to be able to prove something is wrong. Like, you need evidence to support an argument. You can't just say, we're suspending Bill Belichick because we suspect that he had to know about this. Like, if you want to suspend Bill Belichick, prove that he knew about it. Show, like, a text message or... I don't know, a document, you know, you, you need to, you need to be able to prove that. Um, that's kind of my take. It's frustrating. I actually think that deflate gate is a lot, ironically, I think deflate gate, which ended up, I think a lot, a lot of people accepted as not really being a thing. I actually think that that was a lot more of a thing than this, but because that happened already, this is, has the potential to be worse. I, I agree with you. I don't know about the deflategate thing. I still I need to think about that more. But well, they had text messages of the guy calling himself the deflator. You know what I mean? Like there, there, there are things. There were things about that that to me were like, like I even as a Patriots fan, like whether Brady was in on it or Belichick, like I don't know. But you know, the guy being like, "I'm the deflator. Like I got to get them to the right PSI." Like to me, that was enough. That like, which you know like. What I mean? I don't know. I don't it's know like, it's like hard said. for me to deny that like something happened that, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. know what that guy sounded like the deflator, but like, I almost guarantee you he's a thick Boston accent. As a oh, thing. for sure. He's the deflator. There's no, there's just no chance. I mean, the, the point is just don't hire assholes. Uh, right. Gosh. But uh, it almost fit. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. It like, as soon as that story came out, I was like, Oh my God, this hits every possible narrative of the Patriots and cheating. Um, you know, the, the first is that the Patriots are struggling. So in order to get an advantage against the, the Bengals, the, the Bengals who are the, have the Bengals won a game or they, they, yeah, they, they have, they, but they are just literally just the absolute pits of the NFL. Horrible, horrible, horrible team. Um, that, uh, you know, we, we, so we, in order to get an advantage against the Bengals, we sent this guy up with a camera, uh, to to film the sidelines to get the substitutions in full pats gear and then we it, it, the whole thing is just it's it's too stupid um and if you're gonna if and the narrative now is like oh that this is what they've been doing for years well if we've been doing it for 20 years chance like especially if this guy was doing it chances are we probably have been caught by now um Everyone so quickly wants to come up with a reason as to why the Patriots keep on winning. 
and why Belichick's such a good coach. And it's these cheating stories that, that fit so perfectly uh, into that. I, it, it did have a, it, it was a story that's, it's, you know, it, whenever you see the NFL uh, launch stories on other teams, um, you know, there's always, everyone suspends judgment. They give the team the benefit of the doubt. Um, and the, the, with the Patriots, they just immediately begin just battering them. And, and it, they immediately become guilty. And yeah, like you said, like people were saying Belichick should be suspended. Like that's crazy. Well, it's crazy. It's crazy unless they show that he did something wrong, right? Like but As of right now, where it stands? Oh, of course. That's right. nuts. Yeah, of course. It's nuts right now. I mean, and that's why, that's why it's so mind boggling is you would never, you know, when the, like, you know, the Atlanta Falcons pumped in crowd noise and there's been all these other, you know, oh, every team. The, the, the Colts did that for years too. That was right. like a one thing with the Colts. Well, there's actually a website like everyteamcheats.com, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm looking it up right now just to make sure it's still a website. It's not like a porn website or something. People end up. <laughs> I actually, when I was younger, I remember like I was doing a project on Australia.com. Yeah. I misspelled Australia, and it's just a porn. Well, yeah, those mis those uh, those misspellings always led you somewhere yeah. dark on the internet. I think. Yeah. I got um, I got me in trouble. Yeah, um, yeah. So every team cheats doesn't exist, but there's a web there's a website to that effect. I don't know the exact URL, but yeah, I mean, if you go through it, I mean. And I'm not trying to, I'm not saying this as a means of saying like, oh, it's okay if the Patriots cheated, like obviously you shouldn't cheat, but every team has these little infractions. Like everybody is trying to get a constant competitive edge. And even if you go back to Spygate, like a lot of other teams and players even have admitted coaches that they did the same exact thing. It, it was something that was like a, a common practice. Belichick even said like, he didn't feel that it was that big. Like he, he didn't, you know, he thought it was something that was pretty common in the era um, wasn't really getting much out of it anyway. You know, technology has changed quite a bit. I mean, do we really need people that are up there with cameras filming sidelines? You could literally just have a, a, a fucking smartphone and do this. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems so so ridiculous that people would be, first of all, it's not even that big a deal. Like, what, what what's actually a big deal is, um, like, what the Houston Astros were doing. Like, they knew what every single pitch oh, was going to be. That is, that is ridiculous. the story of, like, the decade like that right they should they should actually have world World series titles stripped i mean they 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 had a computer in their dugout where they were like they were literally constructing and deconstructing this setup in their clubhouse before and every and after every single game you know what i mean it was like it was like a whole to do and it was constant you know um but you don't you know it's weird like maybe i maybe it's just because i don't follow baseball that much but i feel like nobody's like really nobody talks about this stuff it's it's kind of frustrating they um, have because it's you know houston and and with the patriots like even with like the flake i remember some commentators were saying that uh you know the patriots should should relinquish their super bowls or at least god which is uh it's great and then, and then with the Rams controversy too, where the Patriots were filming. Do you know? Do you remember the Rams controversy from the first Super Bowl? The first. It was time? a it was a Boston Herald, um, false news story. Basically, they reported it, and then they they apologized to the team because it ended up not being a truthful story. I forget exactly what the details were, but it ended up not being a true story in it. But, by, but the, the problem was that by then it had blown up in the media so much that a lot of people forget that it, it didn't actually happen. 
And that's actually one of the things that happened with Deflategate too, is that ESPN, a lot of people at ESPN really ran off with that story yeah. and then, you know, it became a thing. And then like a lot, if you go back and look at a lot of the things that ESPN originally reported, they're, they're actually anomalous with what the NFL said was what happened. Um, and even though the NFL still suspended the Patriots, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like pretty serious inconsistencies um, and a lot of it was create, you know, there's a dramatic effect that was caused by media taking things and running with it. You know, Donald Trump would really have a field day if he were the, if he were the head of the Patriots, cause he'd be able to blame, you know, everybody for being fake news. And in this case, he'd actually be right. He'd um, actually be the victim too, which would be nice. Yeah. He'd love that. Um, so, you know, it's frustrating, but look, like I, I, it does look really bad. Like, I, and I think there's no denying that. So I don't think it's crazy for people to want to have, more information. And honestly, the Patriots probably should get punished for this because you can't, whether or not you are, you're trying to do something wrong or knowingly doing something wrong, there is a code that you have to abide by. And by the way, no matter, I mean, th- this guy, how dumb, I mean, so dumb so just for, just, just for this, just idiot. for having an employee on in the organization who, who is dumber than a rock, they should get like a draft pick taken away. I actually believe that no matter how much of a homer I am, like we should have a draft pick taken away because we hired somebody dumb enough to film eight minutes of B roll of the worst team in the NFL a week before we were playing them. Like we should, we should get punished for that. Um, so I think we will get punished and I think we should, I think, you know, we as Patriots fans, like I think the team should get punished. You can't do things. Uh, you can't do things illegally and, uh, even just potentially benefit from them without facing repercussions, whether you intended to or not. But um, I don't think that people need to say that this affects anybody's legacy or this or that, unless they can show that there was some deliberate, you know, involvement on behalf of upper level management or people like Belichick or Brady or, or so on. That's my take. Yeah, I, I almost think it's nearly uh, – it's it's almost – it's beyond – it's it's – it'd be very difficult to, to, to make the argument that uh, this was ordered by Belichick uh, for this guy. But if Belichick picked the guy, I'm sure he would have done his job a lot better. Um, right, right. Yeah, the, I, I, I unfortunately I, – I do agree with you. I, I think the Patriots should lose a, uh, a draft pick. Like – you you doesn't matter if you you successfully stupidity sometimes is a crime and in this case the stupidity was a crime well ignorance of the law is not an excuse either right like if i'm speeding and i don't know that there's a speed limit i still get pulled over for a ticket it's not an excuse for me to say that i didn't know that the speed limit was you know 50 miles an hour you know what i mean and that just that applies in all in all settings. Yeah. And I actually do believe that this cameraman didn't know. Uh, I, I I just, from his reaction, it was, it was so stupid and so blatant that the only reasonable thing I can think is that he, uh, he just didn't know. Um, Jeff, on on that note, uh, I think we're, uh, we're done here. Sounds good. Well, I look forward to the next time. This was a, you know, it was a kind of a 180 to go from, Trump to the Patriots, but I'm glad that we found a way to uh, to tie it together in the end. There, unfortunately, they're also sort of linked too. But we can get into that later. Yeah, that's that's the conversation for another day. <laughs> Have a good one, Jeff. All right, you too.